time and time again, you guys have heard me say that our nation is turning its back on God. And the past few weeks of politics have shown us just the extent to which our nation has fallen from executive orders mandating that taxpayers fund transgender uh, surgeries to legislation that completely disregards religious freedoms and the safety of your children to political nominees and leaders advocating for extremes like uh, genital mutilation. Our nation is completely rejecting God's word. But worst of all, America and the Christian church face an even bigger crisis. Find out what that is in today's episode. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Millennial God. My name is Pat Samuels, and thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder uh, to hit subscribe, hit the little bell next to it so you get notifications, so that way you uh, get notified every single time that we release a new episode here on Millennial God Podcast. Uh, Part of what we try to do here on Millennial God is we try to help guide Christians through politics in America. I think that Uh, we're looking right now at a political environment that is very challenging for Christians to understand. Uh, They're getting pressured from culture, from society, from their friends and family and things like that to believe certain things because society is telling them to do it. Uh, So part of what we try to do here is guide Christians through politics in America and kind of how to think about the problems that we currently face. Uh, And the past couple months have been kind of a whirlwind of uh, politics for America, um, from executive orders to the Equality Act to uh, different presidential nominees uh, going before Congress. Uh, We've really seen quite a spectrum of the threats that we face as Christians in America to our religious beliefs and our religious uh, practices as well. Uh, And so I kind of want to break down just a few of these problems that we're facing right now and kind of give you guys something to think about as we go forward uh, and and take a look at the politics in our nation at at this time. All right. So first thing I want to talk about is uh, some of President Biden's executive orders. So in total, he uh, has given out, he's mandated 34 executive orders uh, thus far in his presidency. And again, we're only a couple months into the presidency, so obviously uh, that's going to increase. Uh, so president presidential executive orders uh, originally started kind of to give clarity to existing laws. So it used to be that Congress would create a law. Sometimes there would be some uh, vagueness inside of that law. And so the president would give a presidential Uh, executive order so that the bureaucracy of the executive branch could understand how to better carry out that executive order with, you know, he he took away the vagueness of a lot of these. Um, That was the original intent. But what we're seeing today is a lot of times presidents are almost creating their own laws through presidential executive orders, um, which obviously kind of eliminates uh, the entire role of Congress. But uh, one particular executive order that I want to talk about today has been uh, a fairly hotly contested uh, debate inside of both Congress and the United States and the military uh, specifically, and that's Executive Order 14004. So uh, that executive order is a reversal on the ban of transgender soldiers serving inside of the military. So if you guys remember back to President Obama's uh, initial or one of his uh, terms in office, he is the one that specifically laid out that transgender ser- uh, soldiers would be allowed to serve in our military. Uh, President Trump went in, he kind of uh, reversed that decision and uh, took that away from transgender 
uh, individuals and said that they wouldn't be allowed to serve. Uh, and now President Biden is essentially undoing the reversal. Um, and so this presents kind of a, a unique problem, right? Because uh, at the individual level, um, you know, people by all means have the right to decide what they want to do with the bot their bodies. Now, I certainly don't believe that choosing to change your gender or trying to change your gender, even though you never really can, trying to change your gender uh, is a good thing. You certainly have the individual right to make that decision. Uh, the problem really comes whenever uh, we get down to who is paying for these surgeries. You know, if, if you're a normal person in civilian life and uh, you just work at a normal company, at the end of the day, you're probably the one footing the bill for you to get the surgeries to change your, to at least change the physical aspects of your gender. Uh, but if you work in the military, you have government provided healthcare, which means that taxpayers are actually the ones uh, funding your healthcare and potentially funding your transgender surgeries. And so let's take a quick listen to what President Biden actually said at the signing of Executive Order 14004. This is uh, reinstating a position that uh, the previous commanders and uh, as well as uh, um, the uh, secretaries have supported. And what I'm doing is enabling all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform and uh, essentially uh, uh, re 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 restoring the situations existed before with transgender personnel, if qualified in every other way, can serve their government in the United States military. All right, so President Biden really zeroes in on the fact that he's just trying to allow transgender soldiers to serve in our military, which at its root, uh, you know, it's probably a debate for another time. But right now, what I want to focus on is the healthcare portion of it. So just like uh, Christians often have a, um, a debate or present an argument that we shouldn't have to pay for abortion because we uh, our religion and really just sort of the nature of believing that uh, children are children in the womb, we disagree with being able to provide abortion through taxpayer funding. We oftentimes have the same objection to providing uh, taxpayer funding for transgender surgeries. Um, but in the case of people serving in the military, that's actually exactly what is happening. We uh, as Christians are through taxpayer or through our tax dollars are paying for people to be able to get the surgery to convert their gender from one to another. Uh, and so I actually have a personal story from this whenever I was serving uh, in the military in uh, up in Alaska. I was an ex, uh, XO or an executive officer for an infantry company, and I had a soldier uh, who was working for me who wanted to make the transition from male to female. Uh, and so he went to a myriad of doctors who uh, said that psychologically it was necessary for or is at least um, important for him to have the surgery done so that he could fulfill what uh, in his mind was the true belief of himself, which was that he was a woman. Uh, and so for about two and a half years, uh, we lived in Alaska, like I said, but we didn't have the quality of care or the level of care that was required to do a lot of these surgeries. And so uh, for about two, two and a half years, he would go fly from Alaska to Seattle, get one of the surgeries done, return up to Alaska. Uh, he would be on sort of like a recovery period where he wasn't allowed to work because he had to recover from that surgery. And then as soon as he recovered, he would have to fly back down to Seattle for another surgery, come back up to Alaska, do the same recovery period. Uh, and that sort of just repeated over and over again. And 
So in about two to two and a half years, uh, he was getting paid by the army. He was getting his gender transition completely paid for by taxpayer dollars. And he never actually provided, was able to provide any sort of actual work for the United States military. So uh, he really provided no value to the military on, you know, he was getting paid for uh, a job that he was not able to fulfill. Uh, simultaneously to that, he was getting his transgender surgery completed. Uh, and so, like I said, the concern here isn't necessarily whether or not transgender uh, soldiers should be allowed to serve in the military. The, the real root of the problem is that we as taxpayers, we as Christians, uh, are actually paying for the transgender surgeries of soldiers who want to make that transition. But unfortunately, executive order isn't the only problem that we're currently facing with legislation and our politicians. So just this week, uh, the House of Representatives passed what is called the Equality Act. So it has not been passed by the Senate yet, but it was passed by the House. Um, and the Equality Act, while on its face does seem at the very least reasonable, it seems like uh, they're trying to make it so that you just can't fire people for sexual identity or for their uh, personal gender beliefs or anything like that. That, you know, that's that's at least somewhat reasonable. That's not the real problem with the Equality Act here. So again, uh, you know, not not having discrimination for against people for their sexual identity or their gender or anything like that, that is 100% completely okay. The problem is that the language inside of the bill starts to promote things like abortion. It threatens women's sports and safety, and it really removes religious objection, objections to things like abortion. Uh, it promotes abortion by using language that says that if doctors aren't willing to commit abortion, then they must be sexist because they're preventing women from access to health care. Because again, uh, the, the political left believes that uh, abortion must be health care. Uh, obviously, we as Christians uh, and even most conservatives recognize that uh, abortion is the killing of an actual human life inside of a womb, uh, but the left likes to call it health care to sort of wave over the fact that we're actually killing a human being. And since, of course, the argument here is that we're all against uh, sexism, like how dare you prevent women's access to uh, healthcare, right? Uh, the left is using this as a way to force doctors into, uh, into providing abortion as an option. Uh, in other words, a doctor objecting to abortion is the equivalent of re refusing to provide a woman any healthcare at all solely because she's a woman. Uh, this also guarantees that taxpayer dollars will fund abortions because, again, uh, they're using language that labels abortion as healthcare, like it's a statement of fact. And so, just like uh, you know, we wouldn't segregate uh, or we wouldn't stop someone from getting healthcare because of their race or anything like that. Now they're saying that you can't prevent healthcare uh, because of someone's sex, and abortion must be uh, some sort of uh, oppression against you because uh, you're, they're stopping you from being able to have access to abortion solely because you're a woman. Uh, oddly enough, this legislation also contradicts itself because it simultaneously says that abortion is sexist, but it also attempts to eliminate the entire concept of sex inside of the bill. We've already seen politicians go after women's sports by allowing boys that call themselves girls to compete in women's sports, but in the Equality Act, they add the word sex into the Civil Rights Act. So now politicians are trying to equate the separation of bathrooms, for example, by gender uh, to the segregation of bathrooms based on race in the 1950s and 60s. So just like, again, we would not uh, segregate bathrooms based on the color of somebody's skin, 
now they're trying to say that we cannot separate bathrooms based on the the uh, type, the gender that somebody has. And so uh, I suppose the political left believes that we should all have universal bathrooms in which men and women or the entire concept of men and women doesn't even exist. So we all use the same bathrooms, the same locker rooms. And of course, all this does is really threatens our uh, the safety of people going to the bathroom, but more so our children. I think that's probably our primary concern is uh, what does this, this look like in schools where, you know, children may not have uh, the same understanding of sexual identity and gender and things like that. Uh, but this, this legislation really uses a language that essentially tries to eliminate the entire concept of gender and sex uh, and sexual identity. And so because of that, uh, you know, we can expect that they'll try to, we'll, we'll see a push here in the near future for uh, just eliminating men's and women's bathrooms or locker rooms in schools. We've already seen it in some places, but I think we'll see an even greater push for it across the country. Uh, and finally, this bill does not allow for religious objections to abortion or any other, uh, anything else in the Equality Act. So most of the time, whenever uh, there's a religiously controversial bill that comes up, there is some sort of religious objection clause that gives uh, somebody a, an opportunity that if, if the law or something within the law violates their religious practice, their religious beliefs, uh, then they are able to have an obje a reasonable objection to this, right? Um, however, inside of this law, there is no um, opportunity for religious uh, objection. There's no, it does not allow for a religious objection to things like abortion. So if you're a doctor or even pro-life pregnancy centers that exist out there that are Christian uh, pregnancy centers that seek to help uh, young women instead of hurt them by giving them an abortion, uh, if you're one of those centers or if you're a doctor, uh, this bill would actually prevent you from being able to object to providing abortion because of your faith. So essentially what the state is trying to do here, or what politicians are trying to do here is force you into at least providing or giving people the option for an abortion, no matter who you are, whether you're a doctor or a pro-life pregnancy clinic, uh, just so that they can say that uh, they have universal access to abortions. Because again, like I said earlier, uh, they believe that abortion is healthcare, that it's not uh, what it is, which is killing a human being inside of the womb. My third political concern for this week comes as a result of a exchange between Senator Rand Paul and Rachel Levine. So Rachel Levine is President Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, and uh, she is trans transgender. So she transitioned from man to woman, and she would be the first uh, cabinet member to be a, trans uh, a transgender person. Um, and so uh, just this week during her hearing in front of Congress, uh, Senator Paul, who you guys all know that I'm a fan of because he's uh, an actual conservative and also a man of faith, uh, he was sort of questioning her about her personal beliefs and how she would carry her personal beliefs into policy as the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. And so he questions her on some things that, uh, quite frankly, should be very basic human understanding of right and wrong, uh, but she gives sort of a shocking, uh, shocking answer to a lot of those, response to a lot of those, uh, and so here's a little bit of that exchange. Genital mutilation has been nearly universally condemned. Genital mutilation has been condemned by the WHO, the United Nations Children's Fund, the United Nations Population Fund. According to the WHO, Genital mutilation is recognized internationally as a violation of human rights. 
Genital mutilation is considered particularly egregious because, as the WHO notes, it is nearly always carried out on minors and is a violation of the rights of children. Most genital mutilation is not typically performed by force, but as WHO notes that by social convention, social norm, the social pressure to conform, to do what others do and have been doing, as well as the need to be accepted socially and the fear of being rejected by the community. American culture is now normalizing the idea that minors can be given hormones to prevent their biological development of their secondary sexual characteristics. Dr. Levine, you have supported both allowing minors to be given hormone blockers to prevent them from going through puberty, as well as surgical destruction of a minor's genitalia. Like surgical mutilation, hormonal interruption of puberty can permanently alter and prevent secondary sexual characteristics. The American College of Pediatricians reports that 80 to 95% of prepubertal children with gender dysphoria will experience resolution by late adolescence if not exposed to medical intervention and social affirmation. Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? Well, Senator, thank you for your interest in this question. Um, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field um, with robust research and uh, standards of care that have been developed. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah. medicine. All right, it is absolutely mind-boggling that her answer is anything other than no. Genital mutilation and hormone treatment for children is unacceptable and completely wrong. It, it amazes me. It terrifies me that our, as a nation, we have gotten to a point where this isn't some sort of fringe idea uh, that a bunch of wackos and a cult have. This is a uh, commonly held belief among a large swath of our population, and now apparently a, a potential cabinet member, that it is acceptable to not only give hormones uh, to allow children to make this life-changing decision at a very young age uh, and to give them hormones, but also to even uh, have, mutilate their their gender their gendered body parts uh, in order to change their gender. Again, this is at a we're discussing the. Uh, ramifications on children. This isn't even a discussion about what people are allowed to do or what they choose to do as adults. We're talking about children who are or are not allowed to uh, mutilate their body or get hormone treatment, oftentimes without their parents even having any knowledge or consent on it. And the truth is that Rachel Levine in the past has expressed that she believes that children with or without the consent of their their parents should be allowed to get hormone treatment and have their gendered uh, body parts mutilated solely to meet the belief that she thinks that uh, if you think that you should be a different gender, you should be able to switch it no matter the age, no matter the repercussions, anything like that. Uh, and the media response tells you exactly where we're at as a country because Again, right now, you know, it's shocking to me that we uh, can even have somebody who answered that question with anything other than no gen genital mutilation is wrong. The media response to this was overwhelmingly backlash against Senator Rand Paul. 
uh, it was overwhelmingly saying, oh, how hateful he must be to even ask this question, uh, or how hateful he must be to oppose something like uh, gender transitions for young children, uh, how you know, they just keep using the same same language. Uh, but again, the backlash was all against Senator Rand Paul for asking, uh, quite frankly, a very reasonable question uh, and getting a very unreasonable response. All right. And finally, the last thing that I want to talk about, my sort of fourth and largest concern for what we're seeing in our country right now, and that is the influence of culture on religion. And so uh, in the past, you guys have heard me talk about how the United States, the Constitution was created for a moral and religious society. Uh, and we used to have, you know, at least a foundation, some principles common throughout the country that we believed in. Uh, and those principles were rooted in Christianity and the Christian, the Judeo-Christian beliefs. Uh, but today what we're seeing is an influence of culture on religion. So rather than uh, Judeo-Christian values being influenced on the culture and on our politics, we're seeing almost a reversal where uh, our culture is moving away from God's intent and they're starting to have an effect on the church itself. Politics and culture throughout history have gone against God's word, but the worst problem is that now these idolized ideologies have started to take over the church. Uh, in fact, I have a, a friend who I know, uh, who I've been friends with for a number of years, and she became an Episcopal priest. Um, and so, you know, Episcopals are, are generally more uh, progressive, more left-leaning uh, Christians, uh, but she was a priest, and she recently became engaged to a woman, which uh, obviously, if you have read the Bible, you understand that marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman, uh, that homosexuality is explicitly uh, uh, taught against. And now we're starting to see church leadership, uh, not just members of the church, not just people struggling with sin itself, uh, but actual church leadership partaking in uh, acts that are sinful and advocating, leading people astray, but actually advocating against God's word. And so their pastors, denominations, and really an entire movement right now, it's commonly referred to as progressive Christianity, but they believe that their understanding of morality is better than what God lays out in the Bible. They're not just looking the other way whenever it comes to sin. Uh, they're actually promoting things like homosexuality, transgenderism, covetous, covetousness, blasphemy, uh, and worst of all, they are actively guiding people away from God. So uh, it's it's bad enough uh, if you allow for sin. Uh, it's bad enough that you know we accept sin as a culture. Uh, but now we're have we're starting to see a large population of church leadership, people who are running churches, pastors, actively leading people down paths that are straying away from God. They are completely opposed to what God lays out in the Bible. Quite frankly, a lot on a lot of these topics, God is very black and white. Uh, he's very straightforward and he's very clear. And the fact that pastors are choosing to uh, believe in what culture decides is right and wrong versus what God believes and what he says is right and wrong is incredibly concerning for us right now. Uh, and Christians just overall are really allowing culture and politics to determine our religion rather than reading God's word for themselves and knowing God's intent for us. So this week, I challenge you guys to call your senator's office and let them know your thoughts on the Equality Act and their votes on President Biden's nominees, because those do have an effect in our local communities. Uh, in your community, talk with your pastor about how your church can push back by supporting pro-life pregnancy centers and organizations that educate politicians on the tragedies of abortion. 
And finally, as always, make sure to tell your community about Jesus because there's no way to change the hearts of a nation without people knowing about Jesus and loving Jesus and telling others about him. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, If you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.